Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the podcast of the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Aaron Lansky, and I'm here today with Professor Efrat Gal-Ed of Heinrich Heine University in Dusseldorf, Germany. Efrat, welcome to the podcast. Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. So uh, I'm going to jump right in. There have been remarkably few biographies of Yiddish writers, and you've uh, are helping to rectify all of that now by writing a monumental study of Itzhak Manger. Who, who was he? He was a very special poet. He was a son of poor people, started as a tailor's apprentice, was born in Czernowitz, 1901. And at that time, it was part of the Austrian monarchy before World War, World War I. And um, he, from the very early years, as already as a child, were, was fascinated with Yiddish theater and with Yiddish poems. Being a very poor guy, he once told that um, he was able to scratch some some pfennige, um, some cents together, yes. and was able to buy himself Heinrich Heine Buch der Lieder. But then his father... Who this, this was, I'm sorry, this was Heine in German or Heine, Heine in Yiddish? <laughs> Heine in German. I see. Heine yes. in German. You see, in Chernovitz, Jews used to speak German right. and Yiddish when only when they came. Afterwards, when they get, got assimilated, they spoke German. This was the cultural language in Chernovitz. So, Itzik Manga, being a child who is very, very poor and has to go to sell newspapers at 4 o'clock in the morning to earn some cents to help his family to buy literally bread, has one day to sell this most beloved book because his mother doesn't have any money anymore to buy bread. So he had to sell Heinrich Heine for a piece of bread. Wow. Well, Manger's work is, is um, you know, extraordinary. A- and perhaps his most popular books are best known today are the Chumash Leader and the Megillah Leader. Uh, what are they about? What, t- tell us about those poems. What, what makes them special? The speciality of those poems uh, lies in the blend. It is the merging of different different cultures, of different times, of different stories, different right. narratives, into one single new something that seems to be very common, very understandable and first, at first sight. But then when you really get into it, you see how many layers of meanings are there, how um, sophisticated the making of such a poem is. Right, so just tell us, wh- what are they about? Wh- you know, what, what does that mean, Chumash Lieder? What are they about? Chumash Lieder goes back to the term Chumash, which means five, which goes back to the term Pentateuch as um, the, the Torah, as a yeah, title right. for the Torah. Right. And Manga, when he was in Vilna, already started to be very much attracted. Manga in very early time was already attracted to biblical themes and motives as something that he could integrate into his poems. So already in Chernovitz, already before he came to the term Chumish leader, he, for example, wrote a sonnet about the sacrifice of Isaac. But then for a while he didn't deal with those things and only in the 30s he came back to those themes and then, visiting Vilna, he went. He he there met a very young poetess, who was writing Trine Lieder, meaning she wrote Yiddish poems which were like the prayers of women in Yiddish. Right. And so she made a very modern, com- 
Compositum, Trine yes. Lied, and he thought, wow, so I'm then making Chumash Lied, because what I'm actually doing is I'm picking up themes from the Bible, from the Torah, and I'm retelling them in a modern way, and I do it in Yiddish, and they become a Yiddish song. So right. this is the connection, Chumash Lied. It's a biblical poem. So at the risk of sounding sacrilegious, when I read the biblical stories in Monger's retelling, somehow they feel more, uh, you know, deeply Jewish to me than the original even. And uh, why is that exactly? You know, obviously he takes the characters of the Torah and he makes them into Yiddish-speaking East European Jews. Some would find this completely shocking. To me, I find it completely uh, compelling, engaging, and delightful. But tell us, you know, wh why is that? Yeah. At the time, it was very shocking. And actually, there were some rabbis that really op uh, um, um, forbade their um, pupils to even just have the book at their home. It was mukte. But... What Munger is actually doing is something that is so Jewish because Jews used to read the Bible again and again in different lands, in different times, and everywhere they were, they reinterpret the Bible in order to be able to understand it as something which is actual and talking to them at their time. This is what we usually call Midrash. Right. Now, during uh, in, when 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 time passed by, we actually have a very complicated narrative um, merging of all those st stories and interpretations and commentaries of the same biblical story, and this is so because the Bible has a very special tight way of narration which keeps a lot untold, especially the psychological drama is being untold in the Bible. Right. It is kept you know, in silence. Nobody speaks about it. And this is exactly what triggered Munger. Munger had a very strong relationship to drama, to hmm. being to being sad, to being offended. He has this special feeling for that which went wrong. So he was looking for what went wrong. Right. When he, for example, tells the story about selling uh, Joseph, he's interested not so much in Joseph. He's interested actually, in the bad feelings of the brothers afterwards. So he stages it as if it is going to be a Chumash lead. Right. And he makes something which is, of course, impossible. He makes those people stage their story as if they are reliving it, which right. is, of course, So he really creates crazy. a very different kind of modern literature out of something very old. This and, is and the modern. Human, right? He's yeah. even postmodern in his attitude. One, nowadays, yeah. one could call him a, a real embodiment of postmodern poetry. Yeah. So tell us about his life. I, I understand he was kind of uh, famously peripatetic, right? He traveled <laughs> everywhere. And, uh, you know, born in Chernovitz, which is already a different biography than many, many Yiddish writers who came from At the age of 13, yeah. when first, uh, at the break of first... Um, a world War, he had to fly. He fled to Yassi, which was Romanian. Right. This is where he um, spent his adolescence years and uh, the apprenticeship as a tailor apprentice. Then, since he decided very, very early to become a writer, already at the age of 18, he again goes and visited Chernovitz, then he goes to Bucharest, and he um, um, become friends with the, at that time, already uh, established Yiddish poets of Romania, which were Eliezer Steinberg, Jankev Sternberg, 
and um, Moisha Altman. Right. They together built a new group, a new literary group, which they called Scheuben. Window. Pains. 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 P-A-N-E-S. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, then he met, it was the um, 1928, there was a big event in Chernovitz celebrating 20 years of the Chernovitz uh, Sprachkonferenz. Yes, this was the conference in 1908 to recognize Yiddish as a official language of the Jewish people. Right. Yes. And all the important people of you know, Eastern Europe gathered there, meaning Zalman Reisen came from Vilna and uh, Prilutsky came from Warsaw and so on and so forth. And the very, very young poet was able to get acquainted to those people. Mm. And they invited him to come to, come to Poland. So he was basically the first Romanian poet who visited 1929 Warsaw and then Vilna and gave lectures on what is going on in Yiddish poetry in his homeland and, of course, on his own ballads. At the time, he mm. was a balladeer, and he had this conception of being a wandering, like what they called a vagabund. Yes, vagabond, yes. To, to be a vagabond who goes from one place to the other and then uh, staging his own literary work. He had the idea that he is a um, follower of Velvel's Barja. I see, yes. Who was in Romania 50 years earlier. And, this um, is the tradition of the folk bard, as we said, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So he felt that he's following this kind of... Um, making of poetry at the same time, of course, he was not so simple. He was not a folk bard. He created highly sophisticated modern Yiddish poems, which he made sound as if they were right. folk songs, which I suppose helped his popularity. Yes, well, of course, many Yiddish writers worked very hard to uh, disguise the fact that they were intellectuals and present this uh, persona, right, this persona of, of, of being folk writers of some sort, but if they were really anything but. But Manger went a little beyond the rest of them in the sense that, I don't know, accounts I read of the time kind of portray him as the uh, enfant terrible of, of Yiddish literature. How did they regard him? How did they even, you know, take him into their circle? Did they see him as a serious writer? You mean the poets? Yes. Or the public? The uh, no, no, the, the poets, the, the other writers. The poets uh, admired him because they really felt, everybody who heard him, felt, first of all, that he is really able to do that, what makes poetry great, and it is this merging of musing and sense. Manga's poetry is very musical. This is one point. The other point was the original attitude he had towards mm, mixing modern um, meanings and problems of life together right. with models that were very different and actually wouldn't suit together, like partly expressionist mod um, models or avant-garde models, and then like a folk song. Right. And all this kind of special putting things together made him very a, a very authentic and original voice. Also, Manger is not a highly educated person. You know, he left... He went to a public German school in Czernowitz, and then his father sent him to a um, gymnasium. Right. He used to tell everybody that he was there for two years. But I was in Czernowitz, and I looked at the archives. He barely accomplished one single term. 
Meaning really? only for half a year, he went to something which is like a high school. All the rest was autodidactional work. He was an autodidact. Yes, ta- taught himself everything, right? He taught the... himself everything. He read German fluently, and he was very... Uh, curious to read as much as possible of world literature. Now, world was for him German culture. This right. was the world. So he read a lot, he knew a lot, and he used to give brilliant lecture because he had a phenomenal memory, and whatever he read, he remembered. So he was able to quote, you know. Isn't that so extraordinary? Wow. wow. He had this ex- extraordinary memory, and he was at the same time Uh, how shall I say, a magnetic person. Right. Very right. charismatic. This is what I read when I, when I read all kinds of uh, reviews from the time. People say, Manga used to talk to simple people, basically right. workers. But he was able to make them so fascinated, even though he was sometimes talking of very complex things, because the way he was expressing himself was kind of magic. He was so charismatic. People were just mm. listening to him, even if they didn't properly understood what he was saying. I see. All right, along those lines, I want to read two stanzas from one of the poems in the Chumash Lieder, and then I want you to explain to us what it tells us about Manger, okay? This is from the poem called Avram Avinu Musa to Lot. Uh, Avram Avinu lectures or gives advice to, to Lot. And this is Avram Avinu, Abraham speaking. He says, Lot, ich miss dir sagen, sis, fe, du schickest kaseder a jede Nacht, ich nechten hast du in goldenem Hirsch, as a wisten skandal gemacht. He says, Lot, I want to tell you that it's fair, it's awful, that you get drunk every single night. He said, just last night in the bar room called the, the Golden Hirsch, you made a terrible uh, scandal, he said. Dos past famange der Schneiderock. Aber osse nicht verdier, hast zwei Techte mit zu sein und bist keine Horrerei jede Gewehr. He says, that might be okay for Manger, who's just a little tailor apprentice, he said, but definitely not for you, he said. He says, you have two, tech, you have two daughters that you need to raise, and you are kind of horror, you are a Jew, a uh, person of substance and, and of wealth. So what does that mean when he taught to introduce himself? Forget about the postmodern thing of introducing himself in the poem. What is he telling us about himself and his own drinking there? Well, he, he used to drink. You see, he comes already from a family where the father was. Uh, in German, they call it Quartaltrinker. Or what, what does that Quartal, mean? Quartal, so it means somebody who is um, partly sober, and then he works and behaves completely normal, but then for a certain time, he just disappears, and he gets drunk, and he drinks for weeks. And then he appears again, and then he you know, behaves mm-hmm. as if nothing has happened. So this was Manger's father. And <clears throat> Manger experienced a big tragic during such a period of drinking of his father. His youngest brother, who was at the time about one, one and a half years old, died in his arms. He was alone. Father was in one of the bars somewhere, drinking, hmm. n- not returning back home. Mother was completely helpless. And mother at the t- and Munger at the time was um, about 12 years. He hmm. was the oldest boy, so he had to play the man at the family. And he took responsibility. And he literally had his young brother not being able to pay for a doctor, not being able to rescue him, and mm. the young brother died in his arms. And it seems that this 
thing had this trauma was very performative for the rest of his life. Hmm. Anyhow, things go together. Part of the psychology has also, you know, uh, to do with his vision of being a bohemian kind of an artist. That meant drinking. And Mike and Manga became very early an alcoholist. So, and, and he remained an alcoholic most of his life. Yes. And that mm. meant that that went also along with a vision of a pure artist, meaning it was forbidden for him. It was under his um, respect to work for money. He wanted to be paid for being a poet. He yes. wanted to be paid for his great poetry. And for him, it was very, you know, um, not natural to be in in to, to be able to have entered the height of poetry, to be on this high mountain, because right. he knew where he came from. He knew that he had to learn everything on his own. It was not normal. It was not. It, it didn't went without saying for him. Mm. So mm. being there was something that was like a conquer, and he had to conquer it again and again. Now conquering was only when he was inspired, and. You know, right. delivering great poetry, which nobody is able to do 24 hours a day. So in the meantime, <laughs> he used to drink. He rejected working. He didn't even have an address. You know, he didn't even have uh, his own house. Only in the short period in Warsaw, when he has this wonderful relationship to this wonderful woman, Rochel Euerbach, she actually gave him a house for a while. Only in this time he had a real address in Warsaw yes. together with her. Otherwise, he was rambling. He was rambling and he was drinking. And the unnice, the ugly thing about it is some people, when they get drunk and be nice, other become quite aggressive. And he belonged to the second category. Oh, I see. So he used to become aggressive. He used to curse. And he used even to, you know, struggle in a very ugly way with his closest friends. And the amazing thing, Aaron, this is something I really find. I, I, I don't. I don't know anything to compare with this attitude. They were forgiving him again and again, and they took care of him because he was such a talent. Because of his literary gifts, I think because they had great hearts. They were really mensch. Really? You know, they were. I am thinking, for example, of Melech Ravitch, who was his friend from the very first beginning. Yes, this Melech Ravitch. When Manga had to fled, um, uh, had to fly from uh, Warsaw because he became state stateless, it was 1938, and he stranded in Paris basically without papers, so he wasn't able to 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 to, to, rem to um, stay in Paris. Right. But he couldn't go anywhere else. And Ravitch was at a time in New York working at Yivo, and he was collecting together with Yankin. Gladstein money. Right, another great Yiddish poet, of course. Yes, yeah. yes, right. They were collecting money in New York. To bring Munger out. To try to bring Munger out. Wow. And since this was impossible, this turned out to be very complicated because America wouldn't give him a visa, not even to visit, right. uh, stand alone to immigrate. Uh, they started sending him money, knowing that what this fellow was doing in Paris was drinking and being very unhappy yeah. and being, you know, he, everybody who was trying to help him at the beginning became later his um, 
lost his friendship, let's say. He, I don't know if he became his enemy, but people went Well, it sounds away. like he was a difficult guy, and he the drinking certainly very, couldn't have made it very uh, Very difficult very guy. And, yeah. and this Melechavich yeah. was basically feeding him over the 40s and over till he brought him to Montreal 1951. It was Melechavich and his initiative, again, to collect money, right. to buy a ticket, and to bring to get him over. Well, no, he ended up in London first. Is that right? Yes, he landed. He, yes, he landed in uh, London 19 f at the end of 1940, and there he survived. And he was very again, unhappy there. Again, it's so hard to imagine Itzik Manger in London. The greater incongruity is difficult to conceive, right? But it's uh, especially because you know why Chapel didn't exist anymore. I mean, it still exists, but right. the Jews there yeah. <laughs> and all this Yiddish world wasn't there anymore. So. There were some people who, of course, uh, kept a certain Yiddish way of life, and they had their own paper and so on. Mm. But very soon, so they became his enemies. <laughs> so he was alone again. So Montreal and New York must have seemed like... Uh, Paradise. Yes. For Yiddish. And for him. And that's why for him. So he wanted all the time to come. And it was Melech Ravid who brought him. And it was yeah. then Mani Leib. The poet Mani yes. Leib, who was so kind to invite Munger when once he was in Canada to visit New York and arranged for him two or three evenings that were just, you know, sold out. And oh, Munger was again able to stand in front of hundreds of Jews who were sitting at his feet, admiring him and giving him the opportunity to uh, speak how popular was he at that point? Would, would American Jews have known him? Would he yes, have been a star then? Yes, they still knew him. They still knew him. He was so popular in Warsaw, and it, it, it was not only in Warsaw. Already in the 30s, people knew him, like Leivik and Gladstein and Manileib. They already read his poem right. that were already published in Zukunft or, you know, in the periodical, uh, Yiddish periodical in, in New York. So he was known. Right, and then he doesn't... Stay the rest of his life in the States, though, right? He, he moves on to Israel towards the end. Is that correct? Um, he wanted to visit Israel, but he waited to be invited. <laughs> I see, yes. <laughs> so uh, it was Shalom Rosenfeld, who was at, the, at that time the chief editor of uh, the most popular newspaper in Israel called Ma'ariv. Yes. And had very good relationship to politicians of every range that made the state of Israel, 1958, at the University of the State of Israel, inviting him from abroad, which was a great thing to do because, as everybody knows nowadays, unfortunately, in the 50s, the state of Israel fighted Yiddish in a very ugly way. I mean, it was not allowed for Jigen and Schumacher to perform right. publicly. Right. You know? This was part of the idea of negation of the Galut, I assume. Right? Yeah. So 1958 was sort of reconciliation. I see. <laughs> and the way to do it was they invited Itzik Manga. Right. Now, Itzik Manga, for the people of Israel, who <laughs> most of them came from Europe and many of them spoke Yiddish, but they were not allowed to speak Yiddish. But... They feel very sorry. Either they survived Shoah or they were able to to leave Europe earlier. But nonetheless, they felt, of course, very sorry about this world that was completely destroyed. And Itzik right. Manga embodied this world as something which is still alive. 
So he came to Israel, and he was, so to speak, the, um, the angel <laughs> who came from there, from this faraway place, which was for hmm. the future destroyed and not existing anymore. And there he was, standing on a stage again, and he filled every hall. You know, he wow. filled wow. every, he filled Ohel. He, f he went from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem to Haifa. He went to Kibbutzim and wherever he arrived, he stood in front of full um, House, uh, houses, full houses. Full yes. houses. Right. And people were so happy and people were so touched. And of course, people used to tell him that, he, that they were reading him all the time. And if he... Met survivors, they used to tell him, you know, we were singing in the ghetto, Oifewegstetterboim. Really? And w one of his most famous poems, of course. Yes. Right? yes. So, you know, all of a sudden he was, again, a hero, <laughs> as you always wanted to be. And he started fantasizing uh, to maybe stay in Israel and maybe do some theater there. But, right. of course, he was aware that it's going to be a problem of the language because people do uh, theater, theater in Hebrew. In Hebrew. In right. Hebrew. Right. Well, first he went back to the States, and he was living here and then going to Israel to and fro in the early 60s till right. he had a stroke. He then returned to the States, and he was here in a um, hospital, and it turned to be a kind of a middle catastrophe. He, he couldn't get along with the aid, with the um, medical aid that he got here. Genya, mm -hmm. his wife at the time, was completely desperate. She called Sholem Rosenfeld. He again raised money. They brought the sick person from uh, New York to Israel, and he looked for a very special sanatorium. It was Gedera. And the chief uh, physician in the sanatorium happened to be one of the admirers of Munger and a person who loved poetry and was very well uh, acquainted with world poetry. So Itzik Munger and him immediately, oh. you know, had a very good connect very easily. And this is where he was kept till he died in February 1969. Wow. So I know after that, uh, there was this production staged in Israel of based on the Megillah, right? By the, the, the Burstins, right? Who, I believe, Pesach and uh, Michal Burstin and Lillian Lux. And Actually, you wouldn't believe it didn't start with them. Oh, it didn't. So who, who began it? The people who started with were, and not in Yiddish, were Chaim Hefer and Dan Benamotz. I see. Both people who came from Poland but behaved in Israel as the perfect modern Israeli, meaning they spoke Hebrew, right. wrote Hebrew, Chaim Hefer wrote uh, uh, songs and wrote for the stage, right. and, Amos, uh, uh, and Dan Benamot was a very uh, special figure in, 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 in Israel country at the time. He was a writer too. So the two of them had together an off-off like an off-off-Broadway stage in Jaffa called Hamam, in old Jaffa. I see. It's a very small space for just for very few people. And when they met Manga, they had this idea, why, why don't we stage it? Which was exactly oh, what, what Manga was dreaming of all his life. But they staged it in Hebrew? Yes. And this, is, this was the start, and it was a big success. I see. Then it was picked up by the Burstein family, Burstein family. Yes. They played it for years in Israel, 
and then they came to the United States. They toured the whole world very successfully. Wow. So you grew up in Israel. Did you hear of manga growing up? Did of course. First of all, my mother, who was born in uh, Palestine, yes. 1922, to a Caucasian family. So Yiddish was not her mother tongue. She from the from the Caucasus. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right, right. She she spoke a, she spoke as a child Hebrew and a dialect like Yiddish, but the dialect that Jews from the Caucasus were speaking. Right. Yet she grew up in a house in Tel Aviv, with a lot of neighbors coming from Vilna. So f- since her childhood, she learned she she learned Yiddish and she spoke a beautiful Vilna Yiddish. Now, she loved to sing. So my mother decided since Yiddish was so. Um, abused in Israel, <laughs> and she wanted, you know, to do something good, she started singing Yiddish in Israel. So since my youth, I heard my mother singing Yiddish and singing really? manga. Fantastic. Fantastic. So out of all the Yiddish writers about whom you could have written, you chose manga. So why? To tell you the truth, it was not a choice. <laughs> it happened. It was one of those things I did not intend to do. I wrote for German radio a feature about Yiddish literature and so also about manga. Right. For this, I had to translate some poems from Yiddish into German. And I started translating his poems, and I enjoyed doing it tremendously. So I went to my publisher in Germany. I said, uh, would you like me to make an... I can offer you an anthology with, let's say, about 70 poems, a bilingual Yiddish and German. He said, great. But if you do this, you do need somehow, because nobody in Germany knows manga, also re- write either a preface or an epilogue right. about manga. So for this, I went to Israel, because in Jerusalem, in the National Library, the manga archives reside. Right. And I went there to, to do some searching. I met Professor Novastern, Avram Novastern. Sure. And I interviewed him, and then I told him, listen, I'm so amazed. I'm searching for scholarly work on manga, but there isn't that much. And especially, I thought there might be a biography, but there isn't a critical biography. So he looked at me and he said, why don't you write it? <laughs> and at the first, you know, at first glance, I said, are you crazy? I mean, it's not my job. I mean, why sh- Why me? <laughs> so this is how things started. Then I went to my publisher, and after this book was published in Germany and w- was very well reviewed in really good um, uh, newspapers, I told them, are you interested in... Uh, Small biblio, uh, uh, small biography of right. of manga, and they said, uh, "Why not? How long is it going to take you?" And I said, "Oh, you know, I'm working very fast, two years maybe." And this was <laughs> this was eight years ago. I'm still writing, hoping now to uh, accomplish it soon, so that uh, the book will be published in spring. Uh, 2014. Wow, and I should add that you're not only writing this book, but you're also typesetting and designing the book. Is that right? Right, yes. You are, uh, that's extraordinary. And, and the, the book you have here, the anthology you've done already, is just beautiful. The typography alone is worth the price of the book, let, let alone you. the translations and, and, and the insight you, you bring to it all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I look at Monger's work and I look at Monger's life, to me, it's like it's made for a movie. It's made to be a major motion picture in Hollywood or a, even a Broadway musical based on his own life. It's oh, a, it's he an extraordinary would be delighted, story. Aaron. Right, but I'm afraid <laughs> before we even get there, we still have to uh, 
make his life accessible and let people know what's there. And since the German edition will have very few readers here in the United States, when can we expect a, uh, an English translation of all of this? I don't know, but I definitely <laughs> hope that it will get translated into English. Well, I hope so, too. And I just want to thank you so much and say, really, Yashikoya, for all you've done. You, you've uh, taken one of the great Yiddish writers and made him accessible to the world, and we are very grateful to you for that. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and allowing me to present this work. I'm delighted to have you here. I hope <laughs> you'll be back. Uh, our guest today, uh, Professor Refrat Gal-Ed, uh, you've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, tune into our website, www.yiddishbookcenter. That's all one word, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Agnieszka Ilvitska. I'm Aaron Lansky. Zaymish Stark and Gesund. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Mm-hmm.